eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Today on Something You Should Know, in a public bathroom, is it better to dry your hands with a paper towel or an air dryer? Then, why you buy what you buy. There's a lot that goes on that determines what you purchase. Our choices will change depending on not only where we are, but who we're with, the time of day, what we're doing, what's the temperature. All of these are contextual factors. And as they change, so our choices change. Also, are you reluctant to complain in a restaurant even when things aren't going well? And the power of being bold and asking for what you want more often. You don't just act one time and think, okay, now I'm bold. But I did notice when things were working out for myself and when I actually got certain wins, it was because I had the courage to ask for something. All this today on Something You Should Know. If you have to hire someone, what's the best way? Referrals? Well, maybe that could work. But just because somebody knows somebody who knows you doesn't necessarily mean they're qualified. Or you could pull out that file of random resumes that came in during the last six months. Maybe there's somebody in there. Maybe. Now, if you're hiring, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. As a business owner, I've found that hiring the right people, there's just nothing more important. Don't leave it to chance or a referral or a random resume. Use Indeed. In the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com something. Just go to Indeed.com something right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on Something You Should Know. Indeed.com something. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? Oh, you need Indeed. Something You Should Know, fascinating intel, the world's top experts, and practical advice you can use in your life. Today, Something You Should Know with Mike Carruthers. Hi there. Welcome to Something You Should Know. When you're out and about and you have to use a public restroom, usually the restrooms have either air dryers to dry your hands or paper towels. And sometimes you have a choice. They'll have both paper towels or air dryers. So which is the better choice? The answer is paper towels. According to a study by the Mayo Clinic, paper towels are better at fighting bacteria than air dryers are. 
That's because we use friction with paper towels, and that friction helps to dislodge the microorganisms while your hands are drying. Handwashing experts say that friction is the most important element of the process. Antibacterial soap isn't in contact with your skin long enough to really do the job. So they say that drying with paper is an important precaution to take, especially where hygiene is particularly important, such as restaurants, hospitals, and schools. And that is something you should know. You and I buy things all the time. We make choices about what to buy and what not to buy, and we like to think those choices are based on logical, firm, sound thinking. But there are a lot of other factors at play here when you buy something. Why do you buy it? Why do you buy, say, one make of car over another, or one brand of soup over another? What goes on in your brain when you make a decision to buy? It's something that Phil Barden studies. Phil is a marketing expert and author of the book Decoded, the science behind why we buy. Hi, Phil. Hi, Mike. It's great to be here. So let's start with brands, because to some degree, why we buy some things is because we're brand loyal. We like that brand. But I've heard that and and read that in recent years, brand loyalty is waning. People, with a few exceptions, people aren't so brand loyal as they used to be. Is Is that a fair statement? Yes, I think so. Nowadays, there are far many more substitutes available. You do get some real die-hard loyalists who will only drink one brand of cola, for example. But generally, people shop from a repertoire, and they're quite happy, depending on the price, depending on the convenience, where they are, the context in which uh, they find themselves. They're quite happy to swap out one brand for another, as long as it it meets this job to be done, as long as they functionally perform and they also tick a box in terms of the social, emotional, and psychological level, then we're quite happy to buy from a repertoire. Are there some basic rules that sellers, retailers, whoever is trying to sell us something, are there things that they're doing that are trying to maneuver us into in in a particular direction and and maybe an example or two if it's true an example would help for sure there are some tactics that everyone should watch out for and i'll give you a couple of of classic examples when you're online and you're looking at a product and a little window pops up and says only two left in stock or if you're looking at booking a, a flight or a hotel room and you see something that says five other people are looking at this room or this flight right now, it triggers a sense of urgency in us that goes right back through evolution because our ancestors lived from famine to feast and they didn't know when the next supplies or particular resource would be available. So then the nudge was to get what you could when it was available. And when we see something that says that there's there's time pressure or that quantities are limited, we do feel this urge to click online or to buy in a store. And that's something we should watch out for because often it can tip us into a purchase that we might not otherwise have made if we weren't under that time pressure or if we didn't feel that quantities were limited. I'm sure you don't know for sure the answer, but I bet you have an opinion. 
when it says, hurry, only two left, are there really only two left? (laughs) Well, that depends. Sometimes there are, but there have been cases that have been called out by the industry uh, and advertising standards bodies where this is deliberately misleading. And in fact, if, you, if you're if you online and you cleared your browser, cleared your cache and your, and your history, and you go back into the same website, you, f- you might find that, in fact, there are seven left the next time you visit. So you really need to, you really need to be careful with this, this sort of thing. I hear things like there have been studies where they, they're trying to sell wine, and if they play French music, French wines sell more, and if they play Italian music, Italian wines sell more. That makes it sound like we're so swayable, we're so impressionable that we'll just kind of go with the, you know, it, it, it doesn't sound like we're really being very critical in how we think about things. What you're talking about is an effect known as priming, and it's been around for decades. You think when you go into a supermarket and you smell freshly baked bread, that's a that's another example of of priming. It it, it triggers your appetite. Now, the fact is that you will not buy bread if you don't want it. Right, even though there's this lovely smell of warm baked goods coming at you. Similarly, if you hear French music or Italian music or whatever, and you don't need to buy wine that day, then you're not going to. So it's not like the supermarkets are tricking you. It's not like they're making you do something that you don't want to do. When uh, the studies you're talking about with the music played in the aisles where wine is sold did influence purchases, but it was of people who were already going to buy wine. So yes, we can be we can be swayed by this, but not tricked into doing something that we wouldn't otherwise have done. Well, that's good news because it, it it almost seemed like the way that, that you hear these tactics tried that we're so well. The, and the grocery store is a good example of of how we hear so much about the psychology of the grocery store. You know that you're the longer you stay and the more they can make you go to the back of the store, the more you'll buy. Like you're just like a, a an idiot. You know this idea that we're sort of walking around like like zombies, um, ready to be brainwashed is is couldn't be further from the truth. Well, wait a minute. So, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Haven't you ever bought something where you didn't really need it? You didn't want to take it back. You could have lived without it, but you bought it anyway because it looked kind of cool. And so here it is in your house, and it really wasn't necessary. I can't honestly say that I have. No. Really? Yeah. Yeah, really. No, I have. I've been triggered into buying stuff, but simply because I've bumped into it in the store. And that happens with a lot of purchases. You know, when we're, whenever we make a purchase decision, it's either a memory-based decision. You know, I, I might write a physical shopping list or just have a mental shopping list of things that I know that I need. And that constitutes my reason for going shopping. But when I'm in the store, then I will be uh, stimulated by other things in the store. And that's, you know, that's the same whether it's a department store or grocery store or wherever. And simply the fact that I have seen things can trigger a purchase decision. But I go back to what I said before. It's not something, I'm not being made to buy something against my will. 
So what, what are some of the other things that maybe we're not aware of that uh, uh, affect our decision-making? And, and by that, I mean things like, I don't know, music or lighting or any of those kind of things that, that push us one way or the other or help us nudge us to make a decision. There are some quite strange effects that have been studied in psychology. A, a great example was... In 1997, when NASA started the Pathfinder series of space exploration to the planet Mars, uh, I can remember remember it well, seeing it on, on TV. But whilst that was going on, the Mars confectionery company in the US reported an abnormal jump in sales. And they said, it's really weird because we're not doing any extra promotion. We're not doing any extra advertising. And yet sales of Mars are rising. And the psychologists came in and explained this. They said this is an effect known as fluency. And fluency in the brain is a, is a cognitive process that basically says once we have been exposed to one particular stimulus – the next time we see that stimulus, it's processed more easily. And the fact that it's processed more easily makes it become more familiar to us. And as a result of familiarity, we like it better. So what was happening was that people in the US were being exposed to the word Mars on a daily basis. It was in all the news reports, on all the, all the TV channels. It's Mars, 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 thanks to the NASA program. And when they went shopping and saw a Mars bar, that this fluency triggered a purchase simply because it was easier for them to, to process in the brain. And the same thing explains why sales of orange-colored items rise at Halloween, uh, which just sounds crazy, doesn't it? And it's because orange is such a salient color at Halloween because of pumpkins, of course, that sales of of quite unrelated orange uh, items like um, soda drinks, orange-flavoured soda drinks, go up at the same time because the colour orange is uh, is present. So there, there are some weird things. And, and uh, as I said, this is, not, this is not forcing people or making people do things um, against their will. You know, people will buy a Mars chocolate bar quite happily. It just so happened that the process was made easier because the word Mars was so salient in the media. That is really weird. <laughs> it, it is a strange one. Another, another interesting example for you is known as the framing effect, which basically says that the, the way information is presented affects our perception of things. So uh, if you give people some ground beef, and you label it as 90% fat-free, and then you show people the identical ground beef, but label it as 10% fat. So objectively and rationally, they're identical, right? 10% fat is exactly the same as 90% fat-free. But people will tell you that the 90% fat-free meat is better quality, uh, it's healthier, and they're willing to pay more for it as well. We talked earlier about music in, in relation to selling wine. How, how does music 
affect our brain in terms of what we buy or don't buy or stay in the store or get out of the store, that, that kind of thing? Well, music um, can act strongly in the brain in terms of triggering memories. Um, so very often in our formative years, particularly teenage years, um, music can transport us back to a time and a place. So it can be very, very evocative. That's one effect that music can have. The other effect is that the the rhythm and the tempo of the music can change our mood. So classical music will make us feel a certain way, you know, feel more calm, well, depending on the on the actual music, of course. But uh, you know, classical lullaby will, will is soothing. You know, it's calming. It's what we what helped calm us and send us to sleep as a as a child. Whereas classical music that is a a march with its particular tempo and and rhythm will tend to make us feel a bit more excited and energized. Um, and that that's the case. It's not we're not just talking about shopping here. That's the case in. in Anytime we're exposed to music, you can think about the music in a movie soundtrack that that is enormously important in evoking moods and helping us to feel uh, as well as see what's going on on the screen. We're exploring what makes you buy the things you buy, and we're doing that with Phil Barton. He is a marketing expert and author of the book Decoded, the science behind why we buy. A shout-out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. You see, for as long as I can remember, I have had to deal with seasonal allergies. Stuffy nose, watery eyes, the whole deal. And the worst for me is it messes up my sleep. I wake up because I can't breathe right. And during the day, well, you know, if I'm working and I'm all stuffed up, then my voice sounds weird and this is how I make my living. Luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. I use it, and if you struggle with allergies, you should too. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I've been using Claritin D for years because, well, just it takes care of the problem. Ready to live as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear. Use as directed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So, Phil, when someone decides to buy... Whatever it is, you know, a can of beans or a television set or a bottle of wine, when it gets right down to it, there's usually multiple choices. There's different, several different brands of beans or television sets, and they're all pretty much the same price. How does the brain figure out, okay, that one? 
That's a really good question. And this has been studied by um, particularly neuroscientists who have observed what activity goes on in the brain when people make a purchase decision. And it is uh, the same process irrespective of what we're buying, whether it's a, a TV set or a candy bar or an automobile or whatever it might be, the same process uh, unfolds in the brain. And what happens first is that we perceive a so-called reward. There's a part of the brain which the scientists nickname the reward center, which helps us to make decisions. And it does that based on the associations that we have built with different offerings in the past. And those associations will be built through many different things. So the advertising that we have seen, our own personal experience with a brand, what other people say or tell us about the brand, uh, what spokespeople or influencers there might be for the brand, how the brand looks and feels, the packaging it has, the, uh, the any other sensory qualities that it, that it might have, the reputation that we've learned that the brand has. All of these form neural networks of associations that when we when we come to be in a position where we want to make a purchase let's take your your example of the tv set and if all the brands on on offer are roughly about the same price then we will tend to choose the brand whose rewards we have learned fit our job to be done best i always remember a lovely conversation with a finance director of a car, an automobile company. And he said, look, my last purchase decision was entirely rational. I had a fixed budget and I worked out what model I could have and what engine size and what trim and specification I could have. And it fitted my budget. And that's an entirely logical, rational decision. And I said to him, yes, you're absolutely right. But why did you go through all of that process to arrive at the decision. And he said, oh, so I could uh, have a BMW outside my house. So what he just displayed there was this mixture of the functional, rational stuff, but also the social, emotional, psychological side that actually having a BMW outside his house said something about him as a person and made him feel a certain way. And he chose BMW to do that rather than another automobile brand because of what he'd learned about BMW, what it stood for, what the associations were. And that's what was factored into his decision. There's something that I've noticed and, and I've heard people talk about on menus, restaurant menus, and it's the second most expensive bottle of wine where people don't want to buy the most expensive, but they don't want to look too cheap so they buy the second most expensive. Restaurants know that, and they mark that second bottle of up quite a bit because they know people will go for the second most expensive bottle of wine. And I, I think I've fallen for that myself, but I'm not sure why. <laughs> well, this is something known as anchoring. And it, what it tells us is, and it's based on the fact that our perception is always relative. It's never absolute. So we don't really know the value of, unless you're a real wine aficionado and an absolute expert, 
then how do you judge the value of of a bottle of wine and anchoring is the principle by which the first bit of information we see so the most expensive bottle acts as an anchor for what follows and generally we tend to pick a middle option and lastly something i find interesting about purchases that we make is how we sometimes buy something and look back and say, you know, what was I thinking? Why, why in the world did I buy that? When I started in the field that I'm working in now, one of my colleagues who is a psychologist said, human behavior is always the product of the person and the situation they're in. So that situation is, is contextual. And, and it's exactly why, for example, when you're on vacation and you drink a rosé wine somewhere very warm when you're relaxed etc and you come back home and you see that same wine on sale and you think oh I'm, i remember that was fantastic and i'll buy it and you do and you drink it at home and it never tastes the same it never the tastes the is, same it never, no, it's exactly. never as good. and the reason is because the context has changed our choices will change depending on not only where we are but who we're with, the time of day, what we're doing, you know, is it a business meeting? Are we on vacation? Are we meeting some friends? Is it a formal occasion? These are all contextual factors. Um, are we indoors? Are we outdoors? What's the temperature? All of these things. What's the day of the week? All of these are contextual factors. And as they change, so our choices change. Now, we don't change as individuals. We're the same individual in all of those situations. But if you change the situation, then our choices can change. Well, given the number of you know, purchasing decisions we all make, it's really important to understand like, what, what goes on behind the scenes or you know, in our brain to help us make those decisions. And when you understand that, I think it, it also helps you make better decisions. I've been talking with Phil Barden. He is a marketing expert, and the name of his book is Decoded, The Science Behind Why We Buy. And you will find a link to that book in the show notes. Hey, thanks, Phil. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Mike. It's been a real pleasure. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As a listener to Something You Should Know, I can only assume that you are someone who likes to learn about new and interesting things and bring more knowledge to work for you in your everyday life. I mean, that's kind of what Something You Should Know was all about. And so I want to invite you to listen to another podcast called TED Talks Daily. Now, you know about TED Talks, right? Many of the guests on Something You Should Know have done TED Talks. Well, you see, TED Talks Daily is a podcast that brings you a new TED Talk every weekday in less than 15 minutes. Join host Elise Hugh. She goes beyond the headlines so you can hear about the big ideas shaping our future. Learn about things like sustainable fashion, embracing your entrepreneurial spirit, the future of robotics, and so much more. Like I said, if you like this podcast, 
something you should know? I'm pretty sure you're going to like TED Talks Daily. And you get TED Talks Daily wherever you get your podcasts. I'm sure you've heard the phrase, fortune favors the bold, which implies that the more you get out there, be bold, ask for what you want, the more successful you will be in whatever it is you hope to do. And if that's true, what is it that stops so many of us from being bold, from speaking up, going after what we want? Why not be more bold? Well, someone who really understands and explains this concept so well is Jennifer Cohen. Jennifer has a brilliant TED Talk on this topic, and she is host of a podcast called Habits and Hustle. She's also the author of a book called Bigger, Better, Bolder. Live the life you want, not the life you get. Hi, Jennifer. Thanks for being here on Something You Should Know. Thank you for having me. This is exciting. So it's the new year. People are talking about new goals they want to achieve, things they want to get. Yet so many of us, when it comes time to speak up and ask for what we want, we're timid. We're not bold. We worry about getting rejected. What if we fail? I don't want to make waves. And so we don't go after what we say we want. Absolutely. And therein lies the problem, right? Because we are scared of failure and we have so much self-doubt. It's human nature, right? It's human nature to have these feelings, but it's about acting even when, even when you feel that way. Because the truth of the matter is something in motion stays in motion. Something stagnant stays stagnant. That's why there's also that saying, when you're busy, give, when, you, when you want something done, give it to a busy person because inertia happens, momentum. So even if you have that self-doubt, even if you fear that failure, still act because you can't just go from A to Z and just be like, well, I just be bold. It doesn't work that way. But if you get good at asking for the little things in life, you get you can get better at asking for the big things in life. So you start with these small, little, bold moves that accumulate and compound over time. And I also believe that you need to become immune to failure. And the only way to get desensitized and immune to failure and rejection is by doing something over and over again. And that's why I have the 10% target. And the 10% target is based around making 10 attempts at anything you want most in life. And even if you don't get to that goal, even if you don't get to the, that goal, another opportunity will present itself that you didn't even know existed by just going through the process. So give me a, a concrete example of this idea in action. So let's say you love sports and you want to work for a sports team. Then start working with that realm and make 10 attempts. You know, look at the people that are in your life. See who in your life is working for a sports team. Or, you know, email someone, go on LinkedIn and see who's the manager or the director of a certain, of a certain uh, division right? But make these 10 attempts. So put the onus, the onus and ownership in your, of your life in your hands and have like, have some control over your destiny. And so this is what the message that I'm trying to really kind of get out to people is that you have to take agency and you can self-actualize and be whatever you really want to be, but you need to make that first step. And the first step is always the hardest, but if you stay on path and put yourself in that situation to win, 
you'll be so surprised of what happens. Because the reality is most people don't even make one attempt. Almost nobody makes two attempts. So if you're somebody who makes 10 attempts, just on pure volume or on just on pure just numbers, you are going to make, you're going to have a shot. And you have to have that idea in your head that why not me? Why not me? If it can happen to that person, why can't it happen to me? I think a lot of people think that being bold or not being bold is, is a character trait, that there are those people who are bold. And if you don't feel that's you, that a lot of this seems like this doesn't apply to me because I'm not that person. And that's true. That's a lot of people do feel that way. They feel that you need to be born bold. And if you're not born bold, then, you know, I'm out of luck. And the reality is that we have, we can actually become more bold because boldness is a skill like anything else. I wonder why we're not bold or maybe we start off bold, but we get shot down enough. We think, well, that didn't feel very good. So maybe I'm not going to be so bold the next time. That's true. That happens all the time. And that's why a lot of times naivety is, is a strength, right? Because the less we know, the more bold that we, we can be. Because remember when, remember when you were a kid, you didn't know any better. So you just did, you acted, you moved, you did things. And then, you know, you kind of learn from things that happened to you, correct? And then what happens as we get older, we get much more timid in attempting or making that bold move because we have too much experience. We're too seasoned. So if we can go back to that idea and that ideology of naivete, when you actually did a lot of things when you didn't know better, that's, that's when things actually happen, right? Sometimes, though, I think, I guess I can speak for myself, that when you decide not to do something bold, it's because something's telling you not to. And maybe that voice that's telling you not to is right. Maybe this isn't a good idea. And how do you determine whether it's worth taking the risk or whether maybe it really isn't a good idea? That's a good question. And, and the truth is, you said the word right there in the question, which was risk. There's a difference between being bold and, and taking a risk. Bold and risk are different. When I think about boldness, I think about it being a calculated risk, like knowing, doing something that's safe, that you know that you're that I'm not telling my message in, in being bold is not if you have a family of four, don't quit your job and just like, go for the gusto like that. I'm saying be calculated in what your attempt is. And that to me is the main distinction between being risk, just being risky for the sake of risky and being bold for the life that you want. Because it's a lot of times, it doesn't even have to be these big, vast things that you're being bold for. It could be small things also, right? It could be things like, you know, maybe calling your credit card company or your cell service provider and seeing if there's a, a better deal on the table than what you're doing. It's about going to a restaurant and maybe sometimes asking for the sauce on the side. You know, it's about asking for what you want in lots of different scenarios and a lot of different areas. It's not about just taking these big, bold risks that are dangerous. It's about just tailoring your life in a way that you're taking the onus and ownership on what you are given versus just having and taking what's good enough. 
When I think of bold, I think not only of asking for what you want, but it's also in how you ask. I don't think of somebody being bold in a very meek sort of way. Those two terms don't seem to go together very well. <laughs> That's very true. You're right. And so there's a lot of there's a there's a connotation a lot of times with boldness that it can be aggressive or too assertive. But in life, it's not so much what you say, it's how you say it. You can be bold but also be kind and nice and respectful, right? And so there, there's that uh, element that it's extremely important. You could ask for whatever it is you want in life if you do it in a nice way. And the truth of the matter is people don't balk at that. People balk when you're rude and, and, and dismissive and disrespectful. And so I think there's a lot of distinction and, and, and ways that you could be bold in a very positive, kind, nice way. And so I talk about self-agency, right? Like if you believe you can, you can, and you will. If you believe you can't, you won't, and therefore you will not. So it's literally about, number one, changing these negative ideologies in our heads and reframing the way we see things. It's about thinking, what is the worst that can happen? Like even just that one, that one sentence or that one reframe of, well, I'm not going to be any worse off today than I was yesterday if it doesn't go my way. So what's the worst that can happen? And if you have that type of affirmation, right, then you, you act in such so how do you be bold if you don't feel bold? What, if you do feel timid inside, how do you get this, this boldness that you're talking about? Boldness is a muscle, right? Like if you want to be strong, you, go, you don't go to the gym once and think you're going to be strong and fit, right? You have to go consistently over and over and over again. And then eventually you get to be stronger and stronger. And then you need to maintain that strength. It's the same thing with being bold. You don't just act one time and think, okay, now I'm bold. You have to be consistent with the skill and practice of it by doing these little things over and over again to strengthen your boldness muscle and to be and to become something. You've got to change the neuroplasticity of how you see yourself. And the only way to do that is to act and to do and to practice consistently. I'm somebody that I, I wasn't born this way, but I did notice when things were working out for myself and when I actually got certain wins, it was because I had the courage to ask for something and go after something and create these opportunities. And it wasn't, it, it, it wasn't because I was the smartest or the prettiest or the most athletic. It was because I actually just asked the question. And I think we get in our own way the most, right? We are our own worst enemies. And we don't even allow ourselves to, like I said, self-actualize to where we want to be and can be. And the truth of the matter is, what's worse, rejection or regret? To me, regret is way worse than rejection. You get over rejection, right? Like it may hurt and you may have to lick your wounds for a few hours or a day or two, but the what ifs are much, much worse. And those live with you over and over and over again in your mind. 
Sometimes forever. Forever. Exactly. And it's happened to me, you know, even me being bold now. I mean, I've, I, I, I've had a lot of things happen where I thought, yeah, now I practice, I'm bold. I wrote a book on bold and, you know, I still sometimes have self-doubt and don't do something that I think and know I should because I get scared of the same thing that I'm saying. But because of that, not doing that regret, I remember that feeling. And so when you remember that feeling of regret or what if, that's a great motivator to not do it another time. You use the word courage, and I, I always think of bold and courageous and confidence to be kind of part of all the same thing. Like you can't have one without the others kind of thing. That <laughs> If you're going to be bold, you've got to have courage to be bold, and you've probably got to have a, a certain level of confidence to be bold. And a lot of people often feel they don't have those other two things. I, I agree with you. They're all basically sisters and brothers to each other, right? And, you know, confidence is the, the best way to gain confidence is through recognizing your other accomplishments that you've had and really, really kind of recognizing them and celebrating them, right? The best way to, in my opinion, people ask me all the time about confidence. Like, well, how do you even get the confidence to do this? Everyone has strengths and weaknesses, right? And there has to have been some small wins in your life at some point, no matter how small they were, but recognizing those and holding on to those. And the other thing is you can count yourself. You have to count yourself. And even if you kind of take a breath and say, okay, three, two, one, let's go. You know, even if it's being brave for 20 seconds, we can all do something for 20 seconds. You can do all these little things to kind of give you that like burst of confidence just to kind of get, get through the door. Right. And over time, like I said, your, your, your neuroplasticity starts to change. And the reality is being courageous, being confident, the, the way people get that is by acting, is by doing, and then seeing yourself doing those things and noticing these little wins and recognizing these w little wins and taking these little, like doing these little like brain tricks, like saying, okay, I'm not confident, but you know what? I can do it for 20. I can do this for 20 seconds. I can make this call or I can say this one thing and it's going to be 20 seconds. What's the worst that can happen in those 20 seconds? I don't get it. Okay. And there's ways to psych yourself up into that until that actually becomes your new normal. I remember years ago, it, it dawned on me that because I, I would see people who like would get jobs, positions, opportunities that they clearly didn't seem qualified for, but they always see, they, they, they were like good at getting the job, but not necessarily very good at doing it. And I, and I, <laughs> and I used to think like, how do they do that? And then it dawned on me yeah. because they asked, they, 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 they applied, they, they went for it and they were good at doing that. They weren't necessarily good at the job, but everybody who's had a boss that you wonder like, how did he ever get his job? Probably because he was bold enough to go ask. <laughs> One thousand percent, one thousand percent. We all have those people in our lives. We have all have those people in the life. On my podcast, right, Habits and Hustle, all I do all day is talk to the most extraordinarily successful people on the planet, the biggest disruptors in the world. And the one thing 
the one through line with all of these people that I've interviewed is boldness. It's not that they were the smartest. They weren't the, they weren't the smartest. In fact, a lot of them flunked out of college and some of them out of high school. They weren't, they weren't exceptional in anything. But what they had was perseverance, persistence, tenacity, and boldness. And that is why this is not just me like riffing off, you know, or talking from a white ivory tower. This is honestly not just, this is experience, people I've seen. This is backed research. It is all of those things. And, you know, I got a job with the Toronto Raptors when I was, which is, you know, the Toronto NBA team, when I was 20 years old um, in like, I was like in a sales, a sales position where I had no prior sales experience. It was right after college. It was the most coveted job everyone wanted. Everybody there was like, we're sports fanatics, sports fans, big basketball fans. And I got the job because I was, I was so persistent and I asked for it over and over again that eventually they're like, you know what, this girl, let's give her a shot. I ended up being a really good salesperson, you know, shockingly enough. But the point is, it's like, that is what happens. And by the way, just to kind of close the loop on that story, my boss was a a total nitwit. He didn't belong in that position, but he was so bold that he got the job. And he, by the way, he kept it because sometimes that is what it is. And it, and, and, you know, I, I, I feel that if people really, really like took that to heart, it would really it would really propel them to at least give themselves a shot, right? Yeah. The, the hardest part, the stop is the stop is in the start a lot of times. So, you know, you just have to act. Yeah. Well, I think your, your point about rejection lasts a short time, but the regret of what if I had, it last can last a lifetime. And I, I I've always felt that and felt that, you know, I don't want to get to the end of my life and wonder what if, Gee, I, what if I had done that? What if I had done that? And al- although we all have some of those, we try to keep those to a minimum, I think, because because you, then you you spend a lot of time wondering, and and what, what good does that do you? Also, wasted potential. At the end of your life, that's the worst feeling, right? That you had all this potential and you had all this possibility, and you didn't do anything with it, or you didn't try to do anything with it, right? You had this potential in you to at least, like everyone can ask a question. Everyone can try, right? It doesn't take talent to do those things, but you can always try and put yourself in a position to win, but you have to create and make those opportunities. You got to put yourself in a place that that can actually potentially happen. And, you know, another sister, we talked about confidence and we talked about courage, but we didn't talk about curiosity. And curiosity to me is the other brother and sister, right? Because if you are curious, that's where you can really find a lot. That's a, that to me is a gateway to connection and, you know, communication and where you find a lot of things, a lot of information that you don't know. And if you can harness and ask questions in a very authentic way, be curious in an authentic way, there's a way that that in itself opens up the gateway for so many opportunities to be bold in. 
Well, one of the things you said that really rings true for me, because I, I've done things in my life that were pretty bold and didn't work out and maybe felt a little foolish for a while, but not for very long. But there are other things that I didn't do, didn't go after, wished I had, and I still think about them and, and wish I didn't. So I really like the message of, of being bold. Jennifer Cohen has been my guest. She is the host of the podcast called Habits and Hustle. She has a great TED Talk on being bold. And she's author of a book called Bigger, Better, Bolder. Live the life you want, not the life you get. And there's a link to that book in the show notes. Thanks, Jennifer. This was a lot of fun. Thanks, Mike. This has been so fun. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Do you ever lie when the waiter or waitress comes over to your table and says, so how is everything? And you say it's fine even when it isn't fine. Well, a lot of people do that, and they end up paying for it, literally. People who lie typically go to great lengths to convince others of their honesty, whether they realize it or not. So if you report that your meal is great, when really it's not so great, you'll probably tip generously so that your tip matches what you said. After all, you said the meal was great, you don't want to look like a cheapskate, so you leave a nice tip. Researchers put this theory to the test and found that the majority of patrons would rather say everything's fine and tip accordingly than to complain, citing that it's just it's more trouble to speak up and complain rather than just say everything's fine. On the flip side, those people who did voice their displeasure felt justified leaving a smaller tip if the problem was not resolved. And that is something you should know. And that wraps up our first episode of 2023. Happy New Year. I'm Mike Carruthers. Thank you for listening to Something You Should Know. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.